LA Underground with Rukin. Now give me something to dance to. LA Underground. This is only the beginning. Clever the way everything blends together. LA Underground with Rukin. Hello and welcome to the 10th edition of LA Underground and something of a special edition. I'm Rukin and today we're doing the first of our introducing series where we meet an artist and spend a little bit more time with them. On Saturday, February the 9th, I'll be playing Avalon, supporting Eric Murillo and hosting my own room with DJs such as Meza, the Barber Streisand, and today's guest, Anish. And earlier in the week, I sat down with Anish and got to know him a little better. And he's kindly done a 30-minute guest mix for us as well. So what I'm about to play to you is the interview that I had with Anish. Enjoy. So Anish, last year you went through somewhat of a rebranding. Who was Anish before and who is Anish now? The whole time I've been DJing, I've been DJing under my own name, uh, which is just a niche, obviously. Um, and then I met with uh, some people in Ibiza and they were like, you know what, like what you do is really good. We just have to figure out what you're going to do with your name. I was like, I had a radio show for like, I don't know, like four years or something like that. And I would literally say my own name, because you've got to do your own stings, right? So you're your own status. Yeah. So I literally, I'm sitting there, standing there, wherever it is, on radio, in the mic, nice and clear, saying, this is Anish K here on Underground Radio. Then I spell it out, A-N-I-S-H. And then, yeah, and then you go about and I say Anish. About three or four times an hour, and the show is two hours long. Still, when I meet some of these people, oh, hi, Anish, how you doing? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I was like, this has got to be somewhere a bit. And then, so yeah, so what are we going to do when we about Anish? And I was like, and each hasn't really sort of seemed to work. So I thought, you know, doing that. I thought, let me think, let me think, let me think. I thought, why don't we just change? And I just turned and was like, what about, why don't we just change it to CHE? And they just looked at each other and they're like, that's a good idea, that. That's a really good idea. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then it's from there on, like, everything just went. So now like, everybody knows how to say your name. You, you think that? Well, I have a similar thing because my last name is Rukin, obviously, and uh, the O-U can be pronounced U or Ow, so half the time I get Raukin, okay. and then the rest of the time people get it like Rukin, and then when they're not sure, they go in the middle and go Rokin. Rokin, yeah. So I'm used to that mess. So if you haven't heard a niche before, I'm really excited for you to hear this guest mix. It's off the chain. And Anish, you are not a DJ that just plays one track and then another track and back and forward on two decks. You're a real selector, I think, is the, is the best way to describe you. You're, one, you're a true selector in the traditional sense. And it, it seems like you have an encyclopedic knowledge of music um, from your performances. But there's also a real uh, flavor of excitement that comes through your work and i just wanted to dig down a little bit and find out where that's come from and and what your influences have been and 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 how you got to the place where you're at today as a as an artist 
I'm a music collector. I'll always say to everyone, like, I'm a music collector first and then a DJ. Um, so I used to just collect, and it got to a point where it wasn't just collecting music as in like singles and bits and bobs and that. It'll be collecting just bits of stuff and having them on tape. You know when you record that old, that, you know, old school cliche of um, recording off the radio and stuff like that. It wasn't just oh, that. the sets. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. the actual sets. Um, I used to, uh, my, I've got three older brothers, so I'm the youngest of four, which means I got all of their music tastes as well. Uh, as well as my parents, culturally speaking, this, that, the other, and then like, I'm very aware, so the radio, and that kind of stuff. I was banned from music when I was like uh, 11, don't, that's a whole other story. But I'd still, I wouldn't help it, I'd just basically, you know, just keep smashing out all these tunes, so. Who banned you? Who banned oh, you from music? My mum, actually. My mom. Oh, mum, come on. My, like I said, it's, that's another story entirely. I used to basically just, I used to hear stuff like, and I used to love like, long extended versions of songs so like stuff like um the eight minute 12 inch mix of a track or the 10 minute version of this or the nine minute version of that stuff like fool's gold blue boy remember me uh sun is shining funkstar deluxe but i want it um all that kind of stuff and i used to just live for that drum solo like it used to just, just do my head like, I used to be like <laughs> um so so i used to do that and then then it obviously hearing adverts and TV and stuff like that. I, my brother figured out a way to, he did it once. I can't remember why he did it or what, I think it was for a film, an Indian film we had. And I was like, oh, I need to do that for so many adverts. Because um, I used to record off TV as well, like just onto VHS. And then I just watched that over and over again. This is as a kid, like single digits, early early double digits, yeah, 10, 12, 15, sure. And then I used to just hook it up, hook the TV to the tape recorder and then press record on these adverts. And we're like, yeah, it's like a minute and a half piece of music, but it's just blowing my mind. And, still, and you can't get that piece of music anywhere. Um, and then, so that stuff used to just drive me nuts. Uh, and then eventually, um, and back in those days, they didn't have um, production software. So I used to just have all these bits and I used to record the samples that I'd want. So I just want this drum sample uh, from like a Sister Sledge remix. And then I'd have like a bit from the Chemical Brothers, and I'd have them separately, but I'd be like, at some point, I want to put these two together and see what happens. Um, and then uh, one day we got a new computer. Well, um, and what was it? I remember all those computers. It was a desktop. It was a tiny. It was from Tiny. Do you remember tiny? Yeah, yeah, I do. Tiny PC. Yeah. Um, and then on that was um, sound recorder. Remember sound recorder? Like yes. Oh yes. I do remember that program. Stop and record. Fantastic. And then so. So where would you you would play it on a cassette into a microphone and record it? Yeah, that I have. I, that was one of the techniques I used. Yeah. Um, otherwise, other times it'd be. Well, if I'd be lucky enough to have the CD, or, or someone was borrowing the CD of someone, I'd be like, I'm taking it straight upstairs, try and burn it off CDX, and do that, and then nick it, put that together, and then in sound recorder make a track. Um, so, so my thinking of like, so the way I play music is I, I, I think of it as a producer, I'm writing songs, I've always, I've always written songs since about like six. Um, so when I play, I, I've, I hear it, but I feel it and then hear it and then I play it. But then in between me hearing and feeling it and playing it, I'm getting all these, all this flurry of ideas like, oh, I can use this break for that. 
before I can do that. And that's before I've, yeah, that's just seeing the track title in my CD wallet. Like, it's like, I'm just like, okay, brilliant. I'm gonna use that, I'll have that on this one while I'm playing this and I need to mix into that, but I have that as well. Brilliant, so da la la. So, and that's how I developed the three deck set, because I'd be like, I've got all these ideas, and I, but I can only play one track at a time. This doesn't make any sense. I need another deck. Um, so that's where I started three decks. And then I've not really looked back since. And then obviously, since I've done that more and more, it's got more and more intense. Uh, and now I do a four, five, I think I did five deck set once, like a couple of years ago, my brother's place, maybe. Um, oh, I did three decks, I did six decks and two mixes in Leicester. Yeah, I play I play on four decks, and I think that's one of the joys of the technological advancement um, with DJ equipment is that actually um, more decks makes life easier. I think you can be more creative now. Yeah, definitely. At the touch of a button, basically. Yeah. I remember I mean, back in the day when we were have we you know it was two two turntables. You know, you'd be buying two of the same track, so you could do some of that cool kind of looping and you'd throw in the next record like half a bar later so that you could get kind of like an echo because none of the mixes had effects on them, yeah. uh, you know. And so I find the technology has just saved a lot of time in the mix and made it more exciting to play really, more creative certainly. Definitely, I mean, when I, when I first went to uni, I didn't have a computer or anything like that. So the only way I'd entertain myself is uh, <laughs> playing music. The, like the old school way, before computers, before the internet and all that kind of stuff. So what I did, I had like, I was walking through Leicester and I looked in this window at a charity shop and I saw like a belt drive turned over and I thought to myself, 14 quid, I'm having that. So I bought it the next day, took it back to my room and I plugged uh, the turntable I already had into the left and that turntable, the new one, into the right and then I used the balance as a crossfader. Oh, good. Um, and then I used to just do sets, like for my own, for my entertainment, basically. And then, like, just in the early hours of night, just if I want to go, like the library, any wherever I was, like, wasn't too far away from anywhere I needed to be, like lectures, library, anywhere like that. Mates place. So I'd, I'd record a little set just for my journey. And then, and that's when I started really, when I really started discovering um, vinyl properly. And that's when I really started to sort of cut my teeth on that. I mean, that was like after my residency that I'd already had, which I'd never touched it before. So, so you were already playing out in clubs at that point? Uh, it was a bar um, in my uh, native Essex, and those are CDJs, so I was just like just banging out on CDJs, whatever. And then I, but because I didn't have any of my own, I'd never touched it before that day. Yes, yeah, so when I got to uni, I started buying vinyl, and then I'd already had it in me like long before I'd even, I'd even got anywhere near a bar. I was like, uh, 12, I think 12, yeah, 12. I was being actually 12, but that's like awkward, really awkward stuff of making it happen still and pressing it and that kind of shit. And what, is, and what does your mum think now? Oh, she's, uh, well, <laughs> she knows she's very supportive. Uh, yeah, because I think it took her not just seeing um, what I do, but seeing the reaction people had to what I do. Um, that's what sort of squared it. And she was like, okay, I'll leave him to it, sort of thing. Um, yeah. And do you think that, do you think that ban, that restriction uh, of not having having the music available to you actually intensified your hunger for it? No, it was just, that was just punishment for no reason. <laughs> so there was no, there was no net positive from the ban? Well, other than the fact that 
it just uh, I got all these really weird really sort of niche kind of memories to certain songs because I have to go and I have to like like bust around give me some more first time I heard that I had my ear pressed to the speaker before I went to school um, and with the volume like like the tiniest millimeter away from the bottom and just like trying to hear it and I was like what is this madness this thing is this? and I just heard it stuff like that like it built memories in that sense and then and then I'd have to like hide a Walkman in my pocket, but then the batteries not, and I couldn't ask anyone for batteries. So what you need batteries for? Uh, nothing. Uh, so I'd have to basically have my thumb. I'd walk with my hand in my pocket all the way to school, my thumb on the play button just enough so that it would it would play faster. Because obviously, if I pushed it all the way down, it would be really slow because the battery was running out. Yeah, stuff like that. So yeah, the hunger was always there, and it's no, nah, it was there, and you know, it will never go. It's just when. When you know you need to do something, like, you just, you do it. And you find any way you can to make that happen. So. Absolutely, that's how you know that you're an artist, I think. Yeah, I guess so. I just, a pain in the ass also, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in Ibiza this summer, Anish, you were, essentially, you, you carved out a residency at Ibiza Rocks. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about and what were your takeaways from that experience? Uh, it came about, um, I, so I went to this, the, uh, the academy, uh, which was set up and run by Dolly and uh, Danny Savage. And then my first day there, I was just sort of meeting people and then part of the academy, I think it was on the second day, there was this whole thing about like, uh, like have a set to play to Dorian so he can see what kind of DJ you are what like. and um and then so everyone was doing their thing and I was like yeah cool it's a nice sunny day and I thought shall we get on should we get on yeah we've got three four decks we've got three decks here cool I can get on like and he was just sort of chilling by the pool sort of semi listening maybe semi not listening I couldn't quite tell but he was over there he was in the vicinity and I was speaking like that so just doing my thing and I'm rocking out and then um when I finished he was like wow that was your like perfect for Aviva, like that's the Balearic what he was just like really taken aback and I was like oh cheers man thank you very much and then when we sat there today he's like this guy's a ninja and I was like wow thank you that's amazing man wow so come the graduation set as it were on the Friday um, we did it in Ibiza Rocks bar um, all of us all ten of us and then um, I did my thing and then at the end the guy who was running who's managing events uh, or something to that effect uh, Danny Taylor he came up to us all at the end and said that was the most easiest night I've promoted ever done. Everyone was just piling in just to come because the vibe was amazing. You guys are welcome back anytime you want. So like, thanks, man. Uh, and we got talking, talking, and I basically dropped like, can I play during daytime? Because daytime is my thing. I like doing daytime. And he was like, yeah, we could do, but it's not really like we don't, I can't, you just that there. And I was like, that doesn't matter. I'll just do daytime. It's fine. I do it every day, every day, all day, every day. I was like, that sounds mental, but all right. So, wicked, all right. And then I had my brand name changed by then. I'd gone to CHE and then um, and then I played and then everyone was just basically on my case like, man, you're amazing, man. Thank you very much. Uh, I love what you're doing, man. And because I was singing my also to their manager and then to other people and then they were telling other people, oh, this guy's good. So Jay, uh, Jay Newman, uh, who was also running events and stuff like that, he, um, he's like, do you want to do a set on coming Friday? And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Um, so I did that and I turned up at like half past midnight. The place was dead. 
like no one on the dance floor, hardly anyone in the bar. I, I was like a minute into my first song, right? My first track, the place just started filling, like just just people out of nowhere. Before I knew it, like people out there, I was like, what? And then by the second song, like the whole place was like just vibing. And I was like, yeah, nice. I like this. I did this. This is wicked. Um, and then uh, then Jay popped up like say ten minutes later, and he was like, see all this? He's like, yeah, man, it's good. Do you want Thursday? And I was like, I'll take Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then Thursdays became Mondays and Wednesdays, and the rest is history. So fantastic. Yeah. Um, but as for takeaways, um, yeah. It was. Uh, I think it really. I think really. It really reinforced my my confidence in myself because I already knew that you know I was pretty good because people have been telling me for like about ten years already at this point. In nineteen, eighteen, fourteen, thirteen years by that point, people had people been coming up to me whenever I was playing, like you're amazing, I fucking love you, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, cheers, man, thanks very much. Um, and then, uh, so, but then to be doing it and uh, Rocks was a really nice place and everyone was just really on it. But then it was the whole, just being there and just, it's like that island is crazy. Like It's a it's, very special place. It's got something really unique about it, hasn't it? It's not just, not just a place where people go and party. It's got, it's got well, something quite special. I mean, that's the thing, like a lot of people talk about, I've been there being great and just wonderful, magical place. And if you go there for, if you're partying there for a weekend, then yeah, you'd be like, yeah, I love our being there. It's wicked. I'm you know, just I'm getting on it, whatever. I'm good. You don't really do it. But when you spent like just time in like the mountains or a villa somewhere or by the sea, by the coast or wherever, it's far away places, it does feel a bit weird. And then you start hearing like the geographical uh, and sort of. Yeah, that actual physical reasons why the place feels like the way it does. Like there's this whole thing where like there's something under the sea or something under the mountain or under the land itself. It's just it radiates certain energy or something like that. It's crazy. Like someone was telling me about it, and I was like, wow. And then some more people started telling me about the same thing. I was like, this is incredible. Um, so yeah, it is a very special place. It's really crazy. So no doubt you'll be back again this summer. Um, I kind of. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be back there at some point, maybe more than once uh, in different points. Um, whether I'm going to be there for an extended period of time, I'm not really sure yet because there's obviously since I was there, like, you know, in 2018, so much has happened and so much has come my way. So now I'm getting busier, like, out of nowhere, so, which is great. Uh, people are picking me up. Um, I recently uh, became part of the family with a brand that I've actually wanted to be like a part of for a little, little while. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. So all these things that I, I, I think I did, I'd be there to get people, certain people's attention and not only did it work, it worked in ways I never would have imagined or thought, but always hopeful. So, so what else are you excited about in 2019? What's coming up for you? Um, I'm really looking forward to releasing some music at last. What are you working on? I've got like this, uh, I'm British Asian, right? So I've got the Indian heritage and the British Asian heritage. So I basically want to put that together in ways no one's really doing. So I'm finally working on a brand new album, but that's very low key at the moment. I've got, 
I think I've got most of it in terms of actual material. Some tracks might be on it, sometimes it might get replaced with something else. At the moment, so I've got like, I'd say I've got three like solid, solid um, singles. I think I want to put six out, maybe not necessarily all from the album, because that's a lot of the album, but definitely there's some remixes coming out and stuff like that I want to get done. But there's like some pretty amazing stuff. And I am playing so strong, so confident I'm about some of those tracks. I'm definitely 100% looking forward to actually playing them next week at Avalon. I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear it. I'm going to be dropping a couple of my own original tracks that are not out yet as well. So I think it's a really fun thing about playing out, isn't it? That you can test drive some of your work um, yeah, and, and see how it goes down. I never used to, I always had this thing about doing it. I'd, I'd make stuff to play and I'd never play it because I'd be too, maybe too precious about it, I think. Sure. Um, and then the one time I did it, someone sort of ran from one side of the club to the other side of the club and then just got naked. It was really weird. And got there's naked? A, yeah, there's a, there's a picture of it and then started... Yeah. It's a that great was, reaction. That is one hell of a great reaction. Were you going for that when you wrote it? No, no. I was just like, I want to do this because I want to do this. <laughs> that was it. It was a remix of Chemical Brothers, Saturate. Great track. But I had it on pre-release, so it was Electronic Battle Weapon 8. And I did that sort of, sort of solid, sort of electronic kind of mix of it. And it was, like, it was pretty good. So your, your music, when, when you play out, it spans genres. You do, it's not like you sit within house or techno or disco. It, it really glides between genres and there's flavors of everything coming through your music. So I'm curious how you set about working on your own new music and your album that you're working on, does it reflect that range of genres? Or do you, have you yeah. or have you focusing in one place for this? I'm really comfortable behind the decks. I'm like completely at peace and at home behind the decks. I, you know, I take my shoes off, get comfortable, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so uh, when I do- You are it, encouraging people to take their clothes off purely by the way you are. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, see, I'm seeing a direct connection here. Played at a roller disco. The first time I ever played in LA was at a roller disco. Like Danny Tanaglia. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then people started getting naked. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> they keep the skates on. Yes, they do. Because I had to skate around. Well, you've got, to be, you've got to be safe, haven't you? Keep moving as well, otherwise people sort of tend to leer and look. That's right. Um, but um, yeah, because I'm so like playing for me is is two things. It's, uh, it's my live art form, and it is just pure, unfiltered, unadulterated self-expression. That's all it is, full on, like, for, and you'll see that. If you ever see me play, you'll see I am 100% expressing myself when I do that. To the point, not just with the music, I'm physically expressing, I'm just going, rah, I'm just like, yeah, or whatever, like, I'm just going mad, because that's what the music does to me. Like, music is my drug, I've always said that. So when it comes to the, because I've got so much music in me as it is, it's like my soul and my whole life, collect music, I can't help but have to go places with it. Um, and I, I used to do that actually with I'd Be The Rocks Money. I used to be like, I get to a point, I'm like, I've got the crowd. I'm going to take them places. I want to take them places. And I did. And on that particular night, I ended up dropping Jungle for like half an hour. It was amazing. Um, just because I was like, I can do this. I can know how to mix it. I had to get from there to there. It's easy. Just da 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 Bang. Everyone loses wow. their shit. Um, so with that, and then with um, my first mix that I put out as CHE, it's called Says Hello. 
Um, you should uh, go and check that out. It's a, it's a great mix. It's really fun. Um, it is very fun. I had a lot of fun putting it together and I had a lot of fun thinking about it and all that kind of stuff. But that, for example, goes through house and disco and maybe tiny bit deep and then, but then it goes to like breaks for a bit. Then it comes out of breaks and goes to old school and then it goes deep and stuff and tribal and then deep. So, and that's just in the space of an hour. Um, and I like to play, I normally play for about, I like prefer to play for about seven hours. Cause then I get, I get through everything I can from anything like soul and R&Bs, like hip hop and funk and disco and breaks and drum bass and dubstep and all that kind of stuff. And that's how I play. That's how I think, how I feel. Um, obviously I can't do that everywhere. Uh, and with my mix I've done for you, as you will have noticed, I, I did try, I kind of, it was just like, it, it just evolves on its own, really. And then it gets to the point where I was like, I know this will sound, I know there's a there's a breakdown coming and there's no drums. I'm going to stick a break in it. Like, because that's just what is the right thing for me to do. <laughs> that's just what I do. Yeah. Um, and then just scratch a bit over it if, if you know, if, the, if it calls for it and then just smash it out, bang, and then bring it back to the house and needs to be. And, you know, love life and then maybe slow it down at the end. I think we approach the DJing in a very similar way, actually. I, I don't see any track as sacrosanct. You know, once I have a track in my hands that it's an opportunity, each thing is 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 a layer and, you know, you're entitled to fit it in wherever you want and, and using, using those breaks as opportunities is, I think, to be encouraged. You know, obviously, you know, there, there are times where you just want to leave a record to do its work and there are other times when you can help it along and make it your sound and live remix it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the live remixing thing has always been a thing with me because I, when I play, I think like a producer, like I'm making something new. Like that was the whole expression part, expression, expressive part. Um, and vice versa, like, you know, when I'm making a track, like I'm doing it with that sort of energy of having like, you're in a set, like just banging out, you're on the dance floor, like in a meditative state, which I normally am when I'm on the dance floor. Um, yeah, so yeah, it is very much that. It is very much that, yeah. So with that in mind that you love to do uh, extended sets, you know, the four hours and up, what do you think about the current trend where DJs are very often just booked to play for an hour or so? Do you think that it's a reflection of people's attention span on the dance floor? Or do you think it comes from a place of feeling a need to fill uh, a lineup in order to, with, with lots of DJs, in order to attract the biggest audience? I think it's both of those. Um, but you, and then you're, you're meandering between the two, between the two um, extremes. But there's something to be said for the way, like, it, it depends on the crowd and the DJ, and then it depends on the DJ and then the crowd. So, for example, and I'm in no way condoning any use of narcotics or anything, but if you're peeled up off your face, you don't you don't have any sort of attention span. That's not part of it. You're not thinking. You're just moving, moving, moving constantly to everything that's going down. You don't care what it is. So for one DJ to be on for ages, are fine. I mean, it's the bit before that that people are like, oh, it's the expectation of it. And I think that is, that's in part fueled by its own, it's, it's cyclical, it's its own, its own revolution. It's, it's um, promoters thinking we need to put more people on, but then more people on in a bill means that people come with the punters like, oh, there's loads of people, we should go to it. So when the punters go to another thing, there's not that many people that ask if we should not. Well, it's not, it's not 
because you're going to get better quality through less people. Like And be taking on more of a journey. Yeah. Um, depending on DJ, of course. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're obviously linking into noisebleed techno, it's going to be noisebleed techno for a whole while. So, but yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of why I play sort of so... Uh, it, it, kind of outlandish, really. Um, uh, everything I play is just is pretty much really interesting, like to me, even by itself, because it, it makes for and then it makes for an interesting set when everything else is interesting. So to, to lilt through those is just to keep myself happy, but it works for the dance floor as well because they're always they're having something new, they're being pushed, they're taking their stuff, and stuff like that. And when I've done sets where I'm just the one dude, even when I was in LA last time, like in eighteen, um, I was there for the whole night. People were just. They were just like, what the? I don't believe this guy, man. It's amazing. Like, he's doing this and he's doing that. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strange culture that it's become a part of. But I think a lot of it is because there's so many DJs out there. Everyone's got to have a space, right? So more people are putting on parties, but then you have to get people to come to those parties. But then there's no shortage of people. So if there's no shortage of parties. No shortage of any of that. Then why do you have to cram it all into one? Exactly. You know? so, so you've played... All over the place. You've played in Ibiza. You've played in England. You've played in Europe, and you've, you've played in America too. When you're in Los Angeles, how would you de- how would you define the crowd here, and what marks it out as different to anywhere else? I really love LA crowd, LA crowds because um, they're just because they're surrounded by so many different sort of cultural influences, as it were. Um, and that not just through like, I mean, a lot of that, I think some of that comes from, you know, the different kinds of people you have, uh, you know, which is, an, I think it's just generally an American thing because you have lots of, you know, there's a lot of big immigrant culture in like, in like a, in like a very legitimate sort of platonic way. Like you've got people from like Venezuela, you've got people from South America, as well as people from Europe, as well as people from Africa, as well as people from Jamaica, as well as people from England, Ireland, like all these places all over the world, are all congregated into this, into this one country. That's right. And then LA, like you get different states of the people, like it's different states of human, you're from like anywhere from like, yeah, your glitz and glamorous um, sort of, you know, it people, like it girls, it, it guys and all that kind of stuff, all the way through to like just normal, legit people. Then you've got hustlers and then you've got like the winos and the crackheads. Like, do you know what I mean? So you've got all this, all this really rich and colourful spectrum of, of the human condition, as it were. Um, so that they're going to have all these different ideas and all these different influences and all these different sort of personalities. And so someone like me, I get to get away with loads of crazy shit. That I wouldn't normally get to play um, anywhere else. So you know, I'm and I'm kind of looking forward to trying to test that without testing it too hard because I know it's Avalon. Um, but I do every time I come to LA and I have a gig, I'm like I'm looking forward to doing it because now I get to play this stuff that I don't normally get to play anywhere else. So so yeah, like there was this gospel thing I did last time and I wanted to do a mashup of it with um, this tech house thing and it worked because I both. One was, um, they're both Southern American, but in different different cultures. And when I put them together, I was just like, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, so, um, and, it, and it worked really well, because someone's told me about it afterwards. And I was like, yeah, I was walking through, and I, and I heard, and I was like, I need to stop. This is going to be amazing. I need to stop and listen to this for a second. And then, and then he freaked out for like 20 minutes, and then, then went off to smoke his joint or whatever else. 
So that's, that's a nice little compliment, but that's exactly what I was trying to do. So will Essex always be home for you? It sounds like you've got a, a, a taste for maybe living somewhere different. I'm kind of a bit of a nomad. I can sort of up sticks and whatever the phrase is. Where have you felt most creative as an artist? Good question. When I was in Ibiza, I, I came back with two of the greatest pieces of music that I've made. So see, I kind of want to say that. It was when I had to play Café de Mar, actually. And I came back from Café de Mar without listening to what I'd done that day. I thought, let me sit down, lie on the bed, press play. And then as it played, I was like, when did I make this? This is insane. So that's a place. Um, is, that track, think, is that track going to be on your new album? Oh, hell yeah. That's going to be, that's in, supposed to be one of the first singles, but I've had a rethink since I made the third one. I'm like, actually, maybe this one's probably stronger to, to start with, and then we can come to that later on. It's called Lip Service. Uh, so, so just look out for that when you hear it. But as in terms of like the most creative space, I am creative non-stop like even now i'm already i'm making tunes in my head right now because i'm thinking stuff i'm talking to you and you're saying stuff and i'm saying stuff and i'm thinking stuff and i'm like wait i can do all this maybe if i make when i when i finish this conversation i can go over there and i can start making this i can put that together and that that's that, do you know what i mean i'm just constantly creating stuff and i'm Absolutely. not literature it's not literature then it's film and do you know what i mean it's all these things i'm just i can't stop making stuff so what do you do to take some time out from that space? Because that's obviously quite an intense place to be all the time, right? So how do you decompress? Um, I stop and make something else. <laughs> True artist. Um, other times, uh, if there's something in my head, like I'm a big, I'm a massive nerd, massive nerd. Uh, not just for music either. Like I, I'm a big fan of like the MCU. Uh, Doctor Strange, that sort of thing. Um, so I do like to sort of pass out to the sound of just YouTube videos, people talking about Marvel and stuff like that, like just crazy. And even if you listen to some of my older mixes, they've got stuff like um, Avengers 2 samples in there. Yeah. Bit of Ant-Man in there. Um, all that, all these different bits of what, like film references as well. I'm a big filmy, so I like to throw that in there as well. So film, I'm, you know, I do a lot, uh, watch a lot of it, write a bit of it. What was your yeah. favorite? What was your favorite movie of the last year that you saw? Ooh, I I can't choose one. I can't choose one favorite of anything. But a uh, massive heads up and a shout out to Widows. It's amazing, amazing to be on Widows. And then obviously Avengers 3, but you see the MCU doesn't count in any sort of, because MCU is always going to win. So they anything that's Marvel related is just sort of, it's exempt from any sort of polls from my perspective, because obviously Avengers 3 is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. But um, Civil War is obviously the best. But anyway, let's not, I'm going to talk to you about that. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Anish. Obviously, we can catch you alongside me and Eric Murillo and the Barbra Streisand and Miser and Monarchy at Avalon on February the 9th. And if you go to my socials, you'll find a way of getting tickets really easily. Apart from that, where can we find you? In the darkest, strangest, weirdest, most peculiar corners of reality. Yeah. Um, and on um, social media? Yes, possibly there as well. <laughs> um, you can find uh, Instagram, I am at A-N-I-C-H-E underscore. On Facebook is pretty much the same. Mixcloud is the same again. A N I C H E underscore. All right. Thank you, Anish. And turn the lights down low and the volume up. This is Anish's 30 minutes 
guest mix for LA Underground, and it's an absolute corker. Enjoy. Guest Mix.
that doesn't get you excited for a Saturday night with us at Avalon, nothing will. And if you are looking to pick up tickets, then you can go to my socials and follow the links that I put on there. You'll get a discount code. And if you reach out to me personally, I might even be able to get you a $20 ticket. Thank you to Anish and thank you to you for tuning into LA Underground. And I'll be back in two weeks' time with another installment. See ya.